1: grace and peace to you and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro. He's the senior pastor of River City Community Church here in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And today we continue in a series called Master Plan and I've got a few questions for you. Has anybody ever told you to slow down? Are you always in a hurry? Do you feel guilty when you relax? Do you have to get sick to take time off. Well, as you discern God's master plan for your life, consider just being still, just breathing. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today's part one of a message called The Power of the Pause. It's time for Radio for Real Life.
2: We're in a series called Master Plan. And as I was kind of preparing for what we're going to be talking about, I came across a subject that actually is one of the main reasons I wanted to have this whole series. You know, I was thinking about when we built this building. Of course, we had a set of plans, and we had, you know, this property, this whole story of this property is an incredible testimony of God's provision. The only building we had to build on this whole property is this building. We brought in some portables for the school and for extra classrooms, but this building is the only thing we built. Parking lots were here. Lights were here. Uh, our, our amphitheater was here, as you might have guessed. You know, we, did, we didn't build that. Some of you thought we built that. No, we didn't. But it's just a great story of God taking care of this fellowship and giving us everything we need to be able to do our ministry. But we built this building. And that process was something that was an education. We used the same builder we had used at our Redland campus. We had a, a new architect that he he brought in. And one of the things that would happen kind of all during the construction process was that we would have a regular, started out, you know, uh, weekly meetings, okay? And I'm not in love with meetings. There, I said it, I have to go to lots of them, because when you work with people and stuff, you've got to coordinate, you got to go to meetings. We've all read, maybe, or at least you've heard of Patrick Lencioni's death by meetings. Maybe some of you have experienced death by meetings. You know, you hear about meetings, I go, oh, god, Really? And I kind of felt that way a little bit at first. At first, it was kind of like, oh, cool, it's going to be interesting. But then it's just like, oh, we're just going to check the progress and everything. And the general contractor was there. His superintendent was there. The architects were there. Willie Mayfield was running point for us on the construction part. He was there. I had to be in those. Sometimes our lender would show up and send a representative. So these were regular meetings, coordination. And the interesting thing I noticed about those meetings, and it reminded me of Death by Meetings, nobody was working while that meeting was happening. Everyone's getting paid. Nobody's working. It's like getting ready to work. And yet I'll tell you, those meetings were absolutely critical, obviously, to the construction of a, a facility like this. Because it's complex. There are all kinds of moving parts, all kinds of contractors to be scheduled, all the different things that had to happen, and they had to be coordinated. I want the architect talking to the builder, talking to the owner, talking to the financer, talk, so that everything falls in place that meeting became critical. And what you you kind of have to realize is if you're action-oriented, if you're a person who's kind of has a bias towards action, there's just some times where you have to just stop and see where you are, how you're going, and make sure everything's working the way it's supposed to work. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, a time to stop. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6, because Jesus kind of inserts a timeout for his followers. Mark chapter 6 I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, he had sent them out to do ministry. They were doing ministry without him. Okay? And he would sent them out, and they'd had a really good experience. They, the things that they saw Jesus do, they prayed, and God did through them. They prayed, and people were healed. They prayed. Demons were cast out of people, and they were brought back to their senses. Lives were restored. The gospel was preached. And so they came back, and they are excited, and they shared this with Jesus. Then, because so many people were coming and going, by the way, you start seeing that kind of fruit in ministry, lots of people start coming around. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that we would hear your word and hear your heart through the message that you have for us. Teach us. Teach us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you know the story, okay, they never actually got to the quiet place, at least not right there, because You know, the crowd found him. They followed him, and Jesus had compassion, so he taught them. And it went on and on. And ultimately, the disciples are like, Jesus, send these people home so they can go get something to eat. It's been hours. And Jesus says, well, you give them something to eat. You remember where that happens? We have the feeding of the 5,000, a miraculous multiplication of loaves and fish for provision for these people. They ultimately did get to have some of that quiet time, but I I, I just, I I want to pause and consider that call because I think that call of Jesus is compelling. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You see, Jesus' call is a call to solitude. Come away with me by yourselves. A call to solitude. Um, Solitude is hard to come by, isn't it? It's hard to come by so many people, so much input. And it's one of those things, there are so many voices, so many opinions, so much pressure, so many expectations. Solitude is one of those things that's difficult. And what's interesting is it's not just like in that day, people had to be physically present to invade your space. Like today, we don't have to have that because we have everyone in the world right here in our pocket, don't we? And they all have access to us. Multiple kinds of access, as though email's not enough, as though text is not enough. No, we've got all kinds of messaging systems. We've got social media. Thousand different ways for every person in the world to press in and be present in our lives all the time. And there's some great things about it. But when you start talking about solitude, a time to just get quiet, it's hard to come by. A call to silence. Remember, he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Do you have a quiet place? We live in a world so full of noise to actually find a place of quiet, of silence. You know, silence can be uncomfortable for people. You ever tried to spend extended time in absolute silence? It, it really is. It's a, it's a discipline. We've done disciplines of silence when we go on retreats before. And the first part of it is very unnerving for people. Because you realize, okay, I've shut out that noise on the outside. I got a lot of noise on the inside. And you better have a pad prepared just to start writing the things down and put them so you can, you can put them down. It, last time I did it, it took me a good half hour before I could feel quiet begin to settle over me. It's hard. There's so much noise. A call to solitude, a call to silence, and a, of course the calls to the Savior. Because He said, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. See, the beauty of solitude and silence is we get to hear His voice, we get to commune with Him without all the interruptions, without all the noise. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest, be restored. It's interesting, Jesus is not asking them or us to do anything that he didn't do regularly. A few verses later, after the feeding of the 5,000, we're told, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He went up on a mountainside to pray. And this is something we see Jesus doing multiple times throughout the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, I love this passage. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. They'd had a productive day of ministry. People were really beginning to respond. People had been healed. The gospel, they were responding to the gospel. So very early in the morning, while it was still dark, we're told Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. I love the way this is translated because this is accurate and it reflects the actual mood of the statement. He doesn't say found him and they said. No, they exclaimed. And there's an exclamation point. They're excited. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And understand, these guys left their conventional jobs. Whether it was a family fishing business, whether it was a tax collector's booth, whatever it was, they got up and left and followed Jesus. And now they're starting to see some results. People are starting to understand. They believed he was the Messiah. And others are starting to think he might be too. And they're like, Jesus, it's going the way we hoped. We got some momentum and you never want to waste the mow. So let's ride the mow, Jesus exactly what's happening. Everyone's looking for you. This prayer thing's fine, Jesus, but come on, this, this, we got some good stuff happening. I mean, they had left everything to invest in this, so they had skin in the game. Everyone is looking for you. This is good news. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. And that is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You can imagine their sense of of misunderstanding. Jesus, people are looking for you. But see, Jesus had been alone. He'd gotten quiet and he prayed. He reconnected with his mission and his vision. And Luke tells us this was a habit. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often did this. This is not unusual. And the question, I think an obvious question, why would Jesus need to go away and pray? Isn't he God? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Why did he need to go pray if he's God? Because we also know that he's fully man he had flesh like us he had pressures like us he had people's opinions like we have and he needed to get alone with his father and get quiet and rest and pray and hear i mean what his disciples are doing is well-intended pressure jesus come on let's get back guys no right now we got to pack up and go let's go because that's why I came. Well-intended pressure. You ever gotten well-intended pressure? Any moms in the room, you ever given well-intended pressure? Moms, we love you for it. God bless you. Ever gotten well-intended pressure from your spouse, from your kids, from a friend? It's not always bad. It's not always, you know, hurtful and evil. It's just pressure. And Jesus experienced the same temptations, the same challenges, the same pressures that we do. And so he would often Go to quiet places alone to pray. See, the name of this message is The Power of the Pause. You've got to pause. Stop. Rest and listen.
1: And let's take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the pastor of River City Community Church, in this message called The Power of the Pause. The series is called Master Plan which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
1: And now back to the message, The Power of the Pause. This is Radio for Real Life.
2: Now, remember, last week we talked about the need for a master plan. Remember, we said don't be Houston, right? Boy, did I hear about it from some friends from Houston, okay? Sorry, I'm not cracking on Houston. I'm not saying Houston is, is bad necessarily. Just saying it didn't have a master plan. It didn't do good in its planning process, and so they still wrestle with issues because of a lack of a plan. And we talked about how our lives are complex like that. It's not just big cities that need a master plan. People. We, we talked about just 20 things, remember, that we all face and that if each of those only had 10 decisions or 10 different aspects they had to wrestle with, that's 200 things that literally every week can pull at us and challenge us and fight for priority and that we need a master plan. And remember what we said is... Uh, The most important decision of your master plan is who will be the architect. Most important decision of your master plan is who's going to be the architect. We looked at Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. He is the only one worthy to design your master plan. He made you. He designed you. He knows your gifts. He knows the future. He has a plan that will lead to life, that will lead to fruit, that will lead to blessing. And he's the only one worthy of being the architect of your and my master plan. That's the premise of the whole series, but this idea of the pause is really a result of the challenge of focus. The challenge of focus. My motivation for this whole series came out of this. Okay, my wife asked me, well, "You know, what's your word for the year?" This started in December. What's your word for the year? And <clears throat> just because everybody does that, I said, "My word for the year is contrarian." I'm not going to have a word for the year. Okay. <laughs> Now you know what it's like to be Lori. It's not an easy thing, folks. You should pray for her. I'm like, that's my word for the your contrary, all right? She's like, no, that's your word for every day. <laughs> the truth is, the truth is, God had been stirring a word in my heart, my spirit. And the word was focus. The word was focus. I had this sense of burden, really for our congregation, for our people, for myself, In this ADD culture we live in, it is hard to focus on the most important things. We have so many things pulling at us. So many things, good things. I'm not even talking about bad things. Sure, there are lots of bad things pulling at us. But even the good things, it is hard to focus on the main thing. And that's why I want to do this series called Master Plan. So we could kind of take a few weeks together and just focus on the main thing. See, we're so busy, we have so much input all the time. We have to fight to focus. And I'm afraid many of us are too busy to actually consider a master plan. It's like we're just on survival mode. Just get through the week, get through the week, get through the week. Where'd that month go? Get through the week, get through the week. There's another. And we don't even have time to stop And think about a master plan. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the main point. The master plan won't matter if you never pause long enough to look at it. The master plan won't matter if you never pause long enough to look at it. If we wouldn't have had those meetings with our architects, what good would it have done to have a plan? If we wouldn't have sat down and made sure the builder's following the plan. But all of a sudden, the builder goes, well, I had some ideas that I kind of just thought I'd throw in, and he starts going off a different plan. And then one of the subs go, well, but I had a different idea, and I'm going off of this plan. A couple times, I actually felt like that was happening. But we caught it quickly, and we fixed it. Any of you who've ever built a house know, you know how that goes. The master plan won't matter if you never pause long enough to look at it. Just slow down. See, we need time to discern God's master plan. God, what is it? What are you doing in me? What do you want to do through me? Time to understand God's master plan because there's sometimes things that you know God's leading or you know God's saying. It's like, God, I don't understand. We need time to process with him. We need time to align with God's master plan. How am I doing, God? What corrections do I make to, need to make? What adjustments do I need to make? And I want to suggest to you, our busyness may be the greatest enemy of his master plan in our lives. Our busyness may be the greatest enemy we face, and it is epidemic. In fact, our creative team went to a couple of different places and asked some different people, asked about their work schedules, asked about busyness, asked about rest and how that worked. Take a look at their responses. I think they're instructive. How many hours do you work a week, typically?
1: 45 hours.
0: On average, usually almost... Almost 40. Every day, 11 hours.
1: Every day? Yeah, seven days a week. In the office, I work about 35 hours a week. At home on weekends, about 60 hours a week. What do you do when you're not working? When I'm not like on the weekends? Yeah. uh, You know, get up, exercise, uh, maybe try to finish up some work from the week. But then I do a break? Yeah, what do you do on your break? shopping
0: my time off even then I have stuff I have to do run around with my kids grocery errands pay bills I only have had this morning matter of fact like Two hours, maybe by myself, finally. Two hours. Finally, yeah. What,
1: what'd you do during that free time?
0: Oh, I played Neo. Don't That's know great. if y'all play like, and it's terribly painful to put yourself through, but it, it's a good way to feel alive, you know?
1: Honestly, I try to catch up on sleep, but other than that, I'm always here <coughs> regardless because every day it's different. If
0: and, you're not sleeping, you're
1: working? Yeah, basically. Workaholic. Yeah. When was the last time you got a significant amount of time off? Ooh. Um. Planning for my wedding in Dallas. And when was that? October of last year.
0: <laughs> and it was so like two days, it was on a weekend. Like if you want to consider my girlfriend a commitment and school, like I probably have one evening from time to time. Maybe like once a month.
1: Maybe once once a, month? a month, yeah. I'd
0: say we try to do, you know, some kind of travel maybe once every four months. So two, three, four times a year. Yeah,
2: after Christmas. Like two days.
1: Two days. Yeah. yeah. Two days to relax for mm-hmm. all of Christmas. Yeah. Wow. It's mm-hmm. not a lot.
0: When I was born, I guess?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I would say we'd have to go away. When I mean go away, I mean pack and go to Hawaii or yeah. something. We haven't done that since our honeymoon.
0: The last time I felt like I wasn't on some sort of treadmill like scenario it would have been. So long ago, I can't remember that far back because everybody's work puts them on some kind of trajectory and it's very difficult to divorce yourself from that completely. So I don't remember the last time I felt totally detached off the grid, you know, you know, literally and and metaphorically, but um, uh, it would be nice. Maybe one day I'll get there.
2: Can you relate? It's instructive, isn't it? Here's a quick test for you. Do you find yourself always in a hurry. I've told you before. I, I'm sometimes in a hurry when I know logically I don't have to be anywhere. Lori and I'll be going out on a day just to hang out. I'm like, hurry, honey, let's get going, let's get going, let's go, let's go. She's like, we have nowhere to be. I know, but feels like we should. Mmm, mmm. That's messed up. Is your to-do list ridiculously long to where you know you're never actually going to get it all done, but you still have it? You feel better just having it there. Has one has more than one person told you to slow down? You need to slow down. You feel guilty when you relax? You have to get sick to take some time off. <laughs> Couple people laughing back there. Okay, we know you do. <laughs> According to a survey, uh done a few years back, 47% of Americans say they can last an hour at the most before be- feeling antsy about checking email, instant messaging, or other social networking sites. Of those surveyed, 46% said they could only make it one day. The remaining 7% said they could probably go a week without checking in. So 47%. Said they, it's an hour. Forty-six percent they can make it a day. Seven percent we can go a week. Okay, and those were Amish. No, I'm kidding about that part. <laughs> 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 That's not true. But it is funny. Uh, our fellowship of churches is, is big in Indiana, so I go up there on business every once in a while. You'll see these Amish folks. They got cell phones. They got the whole thing. It's like wow, even the Amish. <laughs> I used to hold them up, and now. Gordon MacDonald, great author, communicator, I just think shares a lot of wisdom, said this. He said, I'm of the opinion that busyness is a deeper threat to our soul than pornography ever was. Deeper threat to the soul than pornography ever was. Doesn't mean pornography is not a threat. But at least with that, we understand it's a threat. Business, we don't consider a threat. We, we wear it like a badge of pride. I mean, honestly, after we tell someone our name, they say, So how are you doing? Oh, oh, I'm busy like, why are you out of breath? You were fine a moment ago. Oh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm busy. Oh, oh, oh. let's stop talking about it. You're going to have a heart attack. I... Seriously. How, how many times do you answer some, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. It's like, really? But it's almost like we, ex- it's expected. We, we, we are, and we're proud of it, and we throw it out there. I want to suggest we have got to get off that treadmill. Hurry is dangerous to our soul. Busyness is dangerous to our soul. Noise is dangerous to our soul. We have got to learn to pause. Powerful power of the pause.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message in this series, Master Plan, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, look for the Give tab at reallife.org.